0: This morning, um, I want to take a minute and talk about this book. I am a church member. Don't get tied up in the word "church member." It's not talking about being a, uh, necessarily like to a specific organization. It's talking about what to be like, what it's like to be in the body of Christ. It's a very practical book. It's it's. Uh, and it, sometimes it's in your face, uh, but it really talks about what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ. It really coincides with what I've been talking about for the last three weeks on community, growing together in oneness. And so when I was in, I got this right before I went to Tanzania, got to read it while I was in Tanzania, and a little bit afterwards, I got, got all the elders to read this, and when we read it, we, we felt like every, every family in the church should have a copy. And so out on the table, when you go out in the lobby today, there's a there's a copy of this book. Please take one per family. If you want more, that's fine. The book costs about five dollars. It's not a lot. But if you would like to uh, like more, maybe just give a donation. If you can't, that's fine. Right now, this is really uh, talking about what does it look like to be part of the body of Christ as we're growing in oneness, as we're as we're understanding what the body of Christ looks like. This is a great book to help to to help with that. I'd also encourage you to take time to read it. Don't just get it and put it on your coffee table because it is a nice little look, uh, nice looking little book, you know. But, but to read it, it'd take about 30 to 45 minutes. Um, but it will challenge you. Um, so unless you are afraid of challenges, I guess that might run you off. But I, but I'm telling you, every one of every one of us should read that book. It's a really good book. I also want to just mention next Sunday, um, August 25th, a week from today, we're having Connected in Community. Uh, we've been talking about the body of Christ. We've been talking, last week we talked about how God places each one within the body of Christ, that we're a part of this body and that we're to be uh, be partakers of it, be involved in it. And so next week we're having set up out here in the lobby some tables, we're calling it Connected in Community, and we have most of the ministries within the church represented next week. And so it gives you an opportunity between the services, between 1030 and 11 o'clock, and then after the second Service to to walk up and just talk to someone about a particular ministry. Maybe you've thought about being a part of children's or media or worship or, you know, the fit team, you know, small groups, all of those kinds of things. You can just walk up there and talk to someone about it. Maybe you have some desires that you'd like to see and how you can be a part of that. Um, you would have someone there to talk to, to about that. The goal isn't to get you signed up and get your name and blood and now you're, you're a servant for the rest of your life, uh, even though you are a servant of God, but not that you sign up for a particular activity, but the idea is to find your place within the body. God has uniquely gifted you for the body of Christ. How does God wanna use your unique giftness within the body of Christ. And there's an opportunity to talk some, to some folks next week. I also encourage you, it's still up on our webpage, to go there and take the shape, spiritual gift analysis. It's really, it's really good, I did, I've done it, and uh, really brings out a lot of good things. So if you wanna do that, that might help you in some of your, your thinking. So over the last two or three weeks, we've been talking about community and what does that look like, what does it look like in the church? And I've been using it as a launching pad uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. We will be over in chapter 4, um, but I've been using this as each week as just a launching pad and, uh, at the beginning of each, each, each message. So I'm going to read it. If you want to turn there, you can, or if you want to listen, that's fine. In verse 22, of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, And he, that's referring to God, and he, God, put all things under his, that's talking about Jesus. Under Jesus' feet and gave him Jesus, as head over all things, to the church, which is His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So three weeks ago, when we started this series, we began talking about what does the body of Christ look like? And the first thing we realized coming out of this passage is that Christ is the head of the body, that he's the head, and we're the body. And immediately what that does is it changes the way that we're to look at the body of Christ. When I walk into the door this morning, it's not what I think the church should be, but it's really what does Christ think the church should be, and that we as God's people need to understand that he's the head of the church. He He has guidelines and principles and promises for the church, and that we're a part of that church, and he's placed us within the body of Christ, within the church. So this morning, as we begin to think through some of those kinds of kinds of things, we need to understand that he's the head. One of the reasons why we're a body of Christ, why we're the head, why, uh, the, that he's our head, is because of the salvation that he's provided for us. This great salvation, he describes it in chapter 1 of Ephesians when he talks about God chose and and Jesus redeemed and the Holy Spirit seals. And it's talking about that sealing under the day of redemption when we would receive our inheritance, the, the Holy Spirit of promise, if you will. And so we see the Trinity involved. And for me, that was very enlightening when I began to start and think about the body of Christ and what it was supposed to look like, was understand, beginning to understand or looking at the Trinity. You see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And I immediately asked the question, well, which one's more important? Well, they're all important. They're all equal. They're all God. And so when I began to look at it, I see, well, they function in different ways, but yet they're one. And I remember a few years ago, or a year or so ago, I was reading through Genesis, and and I was reading, and it says, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one. And it blew my mind, it really did, when I started thinking, oh, wow, you know, you read all this stuff about what the home and role and all, all that stuff, but really our goal needs to be oneness. And I began to realize how important oneness is in understanding. We see it in the Trinity, but also in our marriages, for instance. I, my wife and I are as opposite as day and night, okay? I mean, there, I mean she likes certain things and I like things and we're, we're just opposites, but we're one. And when I begin to realize why God really hates iniquity, take, take my wife out of the equation, just look at me, myself, and when I am my shortcomings and my own fears and my own iniquities, my own sins, and how it impacts our oneness, our relationship. It was funny this week, and um, I don't even know if she's. Yeah, she. I think she's here. Anyway, I better be careful here. But anyway, this week we had we got into a conversation, and our conversation went like this: Why? Because we're different. I was very clear in what I was communicating, right? You know, and she was very clear that I wasn't communicating. So we go in our different different ways, and finally, it was just like, okay, I got to stop. I just got to stop. Why? Because because really, it's not that we wanted different things; we want the same thing. We, we deeply love each other. We deeply care about each other. And we need to strive towards oneness. And sometimes that happens in our marriages, happens in our relationships, right? But oneness draws us back and helps us to understand that we're brought together by oneness. And, and so I began to see, look at that and think about that within the, within the marriage relationship. And then all of a sudden I'm reading in the scriptures and you know what it says in the scriptures? There is one body. Can you believe that? He uses the word one again. And, it, and all of a sudden I started thinking about, oh my goodness, God expects us to operate as one. Because of this great salvation that he's given us, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he tells us in chapter two, we were alienated from God and now he has brought us near, right? He has made us alive. Our God who is rich in mercy and who's all powerful made us alive, raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves, lest anybody should boast. And to God be the glory. Because that salvation that Christ has provided has brought us together and immediately makes us one. And I, and I go back over and over and over again, and I say, you'll never meet anybody that the gospel wasn't meant for. You're never gonna walk up to somebody and go, you know what, the gospel wasn't meant for them. Yes, it was. It was meant for every single person. Every single person that hears the gospel, it was meant for, that they might by faith receive the blessings of God. And when they do, they enter into the body of Christ and they become partakers of the promise of God and they become partakers of the body of Christ. That's how Christ intended. That's how Christ planned it. In fact, he says we were created in verse 10 of chapter two. He says we were, we were created uh, as his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we're to be involved together in good works and what we do. And then he goes on and, and he talks about this problem that was in the, in the church at Ephesus. You see the Jews and the Gentiles, they were separated. And, and if, I'm, if I'm going fast for you guys, just go back and watch the last three weeks because I'm giving you kind of bringing you up to the passage. But you can't understand what I'm about to say if you don't understand the backdrop and the context, okay? So... <clears throat> So in chapter three, he talks about the Jew and the Gentile. You see, the Jew hated the Gentile. You know, those ungodly pagan people who didn't obey the word of God and the law of God. They, they were alienated from God and, and they didn't even they didn't follow circumcision. They didn't follow the, any of the traditions that the Jewish people had, those, those ungodly people. And there was a separation. And Paul addresses it, and he says, hey, look, because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, because of of the shedding of his blood, he's brought down the wall that separated the true, brought those who were far off, brought them near, and brought the two together that there might be one, killing the hostility is the word that he uses. That there's to me no more this hostility between one another. And to be honest with you, dear people of God, that was the true of the first century church at Ephesus. But it's just as true today. The hostility that goes on sometimes in the church needs to cease. Because Jesus paid the price and he did what he needed to do to correct those issues that we might come together. And so... So Paul continues on. In fact, he even says in chapter three, he talks about this mystery that, that the Gentiles would become partakers of the promise and of the blessings of God. And he continues on in chapter three and he talks about, Greg quoted a little bit ago, talks about this, this immeasurable love of Christ that, that surpasses all of our knowledge and understanding. Is there enough love in what Christ has done? Does it surpass our understanding? Absolutely, that anyone could become partakers within the body of Christ. And he says, who can do above and beyond what we can ever imagine or think, and I've shared last week or a couple of weeks ago that I always thought that was big things out there, but really in the context he's talking about within the body of Christ, God is able to do beyond what we can ever imagine or think in bringing us together and healing the hurts and breaking down the walls and the divisions that take place within the body because we're brought together as one, growing together in oneness because of what Christ has done in our salvation. That's the first three chapters of of Ephesians. That's the theology in which he sets us up when he walks into chapter four and verse one, and he says, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to which we've been called. That great salvation that Christ has given us by which he he has redeemed us and by which we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God that we look unto that day, that great salvation, we're to walk in a manner that reflects that salvation with all humility, with all gentleness, With all patience, forbearing one another in love. And he talks about the attitudes that are important and necessary in keeping unity within the body of Christ. In fact, he goes on and he says, to be eager, to be determined, to keep or maintain, and that idea of keeping or maintaining is something that we already possess, that we would keep it and we hang on to it, that we keep and maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the reality of what Paul is saying there is that when we understand what God has done for us and we're his workmanship and that he has saved us, that it's nothing that we've done that we boast about, but that we give him glory and we acknowledge him, that that bod- that love, that work brought us together and now in humility and patience and gentleness and forbearing and love towards one another, we now do everything we can to keep that unity of the, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Why? For there is, and he tells us in the next verses, for there is one spirit, one Lord, referring to Jesus, and one God and Father over all, in all and through all. Why is it important? There it is, the Trinity. We look at how they operate. We saw Jesus walking on this earth, and he says, what I see the Father do, I do. What I hear the Father say, I say. And we understand that Christ is our example. We should see what he does, and we do. We hear what he says, and we say. And it's the same principle that we understand the God that has redeemed us, the God who has chosen us, the God who has sealed us and keeps us in that salvation that we conduct ourselves in a way that that matches up or that's in step with what he's done for us. And so Paul continues on. In fact, in verse seven of chapter four, he says, but, and always threw me off the but. What do you mean? But by the grace that Christ has given us. I always wonder, what what does he mean, but? Is he contrasting what he just said? No, what he's talking about in verses 1 really through 6, he's describing the unity of the body of Christ, and now he's moving to the unique giftedness of the individual members. We saw that last week. We talked about the uniqueness of the individual members within the body of Christ. There's one body, many members. So if I'm the foot, I can't say I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand. Because the hand can look over there, and the eye sees my cup, and the eye goes, hey, I want to get the cup. The hand says I can grab, but the foot is saying I'm not part of the body. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Because the whole body has to work and function together. And Paul wanted us to understand that picture. In order for me to walk over and pick up my cup, it takes my whole body and involvement of making that happen. So within the body of Christ, it is no different. If if part of the body says, I'm not doing that, guess what happens? It makes the body of Christ ineffective. And then we begin to to see the the divisions start rising up and the the bitterness and the anger and those kinds of things start rising up within the body of Christ. And God forbid, amen? Amen. God forbid folks i 'm um, I'm, I'm on a roll today and and i've got I, i've got a certain amount of time up there and i 'm going to be flying, so I need some amens without me calling you out to the amens okay <laughs> so I know, I know, I know I, it gets me going and maybe you just don't want me to because you want to make it to lunch, but um, I promise I'll keep going if I just keep hearing the amens. But amen, right? All right, so we, God has done these things. He's put us together. He's, he's put every one of us in the body together that the body might work together. And, and man, what a glory is that. We looked at it last week. We looked at spiritual gifts and the giftedness of the body and and how God chooses. God specifically placed you in the body of Christ for a purpose. You were not, thank you, keep it. The the body of Christ was not made for you. If it was about you, every time you walk in the door, the church is never going to be enough. The church will never satisfy if it's about you. And I don't care, you can come here and all gripe all you want about the church. You can go down the street to church B, and if it's about you, the church is never going to be enough. You can go down the street again to a church C. Guess what? It's not going to be enough. Because God did not create the church for you, but rather you for the church. For the common good of the body of Christ. And dear people of God, we need to understand that and begin to change our thinking that we are the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right? So we, we, as God's people, he's put us together. He's gifted us. Why? Now we'll pick up in verse 12. I know that was a long introduction, but you guys got to understand all this stuff to understand all these things. Verse 12, he says, why has he done this? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That word equip, we looked at it last week, means to mend. It's like mending uh, 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 nets, fishing nets. We're restoring them for use. So it's the same picture in the body of Christ. That as we use our gifts within the body of Christ, it begins to equip the, the saints, the saints being the people of God. And please, I, I emphasize, just because I'm up here using my gift doesn't mean I'm any more important than any other member of the body of Christ. If you have the gift of mercy, you're just as valuable as the person standing here teaching. If you, have the, if you have the gift of helps, you're just as important as the person who is standing here preaching. Do you understand that? This, this is just us, me, being a part of the body of Christ where God has placed me within the body. But, but if, it was all, if we were all teachers, where would be the mercy? God forbid, right? Where would, where would be the helps? Where would be the giving? Where would be be those things that makes the whole body come together? So so God has equipped the body, given the body gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And if we ever start thinking the work of the ministry is these guys that are called full-time staff, God forbid, help the church. I'm just like you. I, I have my faults and I have my problems just like you. God forbid if it all rests on me or it rests on buckles, or it rests on one of the other staff. God forbid. God didn't design the church to be that way. And he says he equipped the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, it's the idea of maturing. It's the idea of growing. And then he walks into verse 13. Till we all attain to the unity of the spirit, unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How long are we supposed to do this? Until we all grow up into Christ. Now, this is really important. Sometimes we think we, you know, we study our Bibles a lot. We go to church and we give and we do, you know, we serve. And we think, wow, we're mature believers. We're mature believers. We've done our part. No, it doesn't end there right? It doesn't end. That's not, that's not maturity. It's not how much you know. It's not how much you give. It's not how many times you walk through the door. Are those important things? Absolutely. But it's the understanding that God has brought us together that we all, until we all grow up in Christ Jesus, that we all. So, so if, so if you're, if you're somebody this morning and you're growing and you're, you're, you're spiritually mature, guess what? You see someone who isn't you to encourage, come alongside of, encourage and help in, in growing the body, and simply most of the time it's you only doing your gift that God has gifted you within the body. That's all it is. And He says you do this. Until we all attain, the idea of attaining is the idea of to reach. It's kind of like used of a traveler who's traveling, and he reaches his destination. That, that this is what we're to do as a body of Christ until we reach that, 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 that maturity within the body of Christ. And he says, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge in the Son. It's talking about a mature understanding of our faith. It's about a mature understanding of who God is and who his Son is in our life. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm amazed and I, I'm, I'm just amazed sometimes today the people who talk about God who have no idea what it says in the book about him. I'm amazed today at the number of people that, that you know. I mean, there's a problem in the church where of the scripture, what do they do? They go, to the, they go to Google. You know, Google's gonna tell me, right? Without ever going through the discipline and the, the, the work that it takes to understand what the book says. You see, until we all grow up into the maturity of our faith and of our of who Christ is and who God is in our lives, he says. In fact, he goes on to 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 to, uh, to mature manhood. I believe that's talking about maturity within the body of Christ. That we grow up into maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember what it said back in chapter one, verses twenty two and twenty three, that the fullness of him may fill all and all till the fullness of Christ fills us all. How long do we keep using our gifts? How long do we keep working within the body of Christ till we all grow up and, and into the measure of who Christ is that the fullness of him would fill us all and all? Why is this important to do? He tells us and, and tells us very much so in the next verse, in verse 14, so that we, are, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. One of the things I hate about Google today is that, is that you can look anything up and everybody believes it. it. It just blows me away. God has given us everything we need right here, right here in this book. It takes a little work. It takes a little discipline. It takes some study. It takes some some praying. I, there's things in this book I still don't understand. I still pray and ask God would would teach me and grow me in that. But it takes time and it takes a lot of work. And so many times we're so quick to come to judgments about who God is. And and something you need to understand, dear people of God, is that you're in a battle. There's somebody out there who wants to deceive you and destroy you in your faith. Our adversary, uh, Satan himself, he would like to destroy you and devour your faith, that you would begin to doubt, disbelieve what God is, what God is doing, and the work of God in your life. And I see it all the time. I see it within the church. Things start happening, people lose their faith. What do you do? You distance yourself from the text. You distance yourself from the word, right? And you begin to see a falling away, a falling down. And dear people of God, we need to make sure that we are growing and maturing and that we are growing up in all that is Christ. And in fact, what he says in verse 15, he says, and he contrasts, rather speaking the truth in the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Who's the head of the church? Christ. In every way, we're to be growing up into him. I like that, speaking truth in love. You know, I like to speak truth, right? Just tell you the way it is. I'm one of those people. I don't like beating around the bush. I like to just say it and move on, right? Okay? But if I don't speak in truth and love, it can do a lot of harm, can't it? Yeah, and in fact, the idea is truthing in love is the idea of that passage. And so I began to ask myself, well, how, 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 do, we, how do we speak truth and love? How do we respond to somebody who maybe has fallen into transgression, or somebody who's, who's struggling in their faith, how do we respond to them? And if you will, just turn over a couple of pages to Galatians chapter six. In Galatians chapter six, there was a strife that was taking place in that church. And the strife had, had, had been such that in verse uh, 26 of chapter five, it said, let us not be con- con- conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Back in verse 15, it said, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you... Are not consumed by one another. Now, I'm going to get to verse 1 here in a second of chapter 6, but you really need to understand the context and what he's about to say and why he says what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6. Because in chapter 5, he begins to, he sets it up for what he's saying. Because you see, there was a strife and a, and a disunity that was going on in the church. It wasn't much different than Ephesians, it was, it was this whole thing of Jew and Gentile again. Because the Jew believe in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so they were looking at the Gentiles saying they couldn't they couldn't be saved because they weren't circumcised. They weren't falling into our understanding of what the law and the traditions were. And so therefore they don't measure up. And so they were rejecting them. And there, there was a there was a division that was going on in the church. And Paul begins to talk about this freedom we have. We sang about it this morning about this freedom we had. Verse one of chapter five was a powerful passage that just struck my soul many years ago. It says, in verse, five, verse one, or chapter five, verse one, it says, "For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery." And he's talking to the, to the Jewish believers, really, not to go back to that slavery, to that, to that law, to, the, to, those, to those rules and those regulations by which people were measured in, in whether they were saved or measuring up to what God wanted. But Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free from the bondage of, of sin and of death. He has set us free from the, from the control of that life. And he set us free in Christ, And I've talked about it before in Romans chapter 6, that that when I look at my life and I think about those things that that attract me and and, and suck me in and begin to control me in my flesh, I, I I remind myself Christ died for that. And I go back and I nail it back to the cross and I say, that's not who I am anymore. And I begin to walk in the spirit again. And Paul goes on, he says down in verse six, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It's interesting that we see that word love the last two or three weeks, that love really needs to be the motivation within our lives and how we respond to one another, both within the church and without the church. Not a love that is accepting of everything, I always get tired of hearing that, but a love that shows compassion a love that, that shows uh, respect, a love that, is, that is, is concerned about this well-being of those whom we speak to. We have the greatest message that ever was written, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the greatest message. That is the message we need to continue to proclaim. And he talks to them about, about this, this aspect, and he says that you've been set free, really, from the law but you've been set free to something as well. If you jump down to verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so Paul is saying, hey, look, you've been set free from the law and from the judgments of the law. You've been set free from the chains of the law in order to do what? In order to, to love one another, to serve one another in love. That's what you've been set free from. And if you don't serve one another in love, what happens? But you bite and devour, verse 15, and devour one another, watch out that you don't. You, uh, you, you are not consumed by one another. And this is what happens in the church. And God forbid, but it does, is that we get upset where something happens to us, We don't don't go truthing in love with the person that we've been offended by. What do we do? We begin to go over here, and we begin to tell so-and-so, and and then that person kind of joins them, right? And then then they tell so-and-so, what have we just done? We've created division. Because now, all of a sudden, these people can't look at that person the same way anymore. God forbid that we do that. It needs to stop. We need to grow up in Christ Jesus and the maturity of the body of Christ and that's that we consume and devour one another, right? That is an amen because God has put us in the body for a purpose to be one together and God forbid he set us free that we would give way to the flesh and that we would live fleshy, we would live according to those desires of the flesh but he has set us free that we might live in righteousness. In fact, he goes on, verse 16, and he, he says this in contrast, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, hey, let's walk by the Spirit. And literally, it's the idea to keep in step with the Spirit. When I was a little boy, I, I, my dad was my hero, right? I loved my dad. And I can remember as I was a little boy, my dad walked, and when he would walk, and I'd be walking with him, his steps were a little bigger than mine but it didn't matter because I'd be sitting there trying to keep in step with my dad because my dad was so important to me. It's the same picture spiritually that we keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. When those, for me, when, when anger rises up, when the frustration rises up and it catches you so quick, I immediately have quick keeping in step with the spirit. I begin to indulge in the flesh, right? And then, as I begin to realize, and I realize I got to take that and nail it back to the cross because that's not who I am anymore, and then get back in step with the Spirit of God working and living in me. And that's what Paul says. If we're keeping in step with Him, we don't fulfill, we don't gratify those desires of the flesh. In fact, he goes on and he talks about the Spirit and the flesh, that they're in opposition to one another. The Spirit is in opposition to the flesh. When you look at the, the, the flesh, it describes things about the the flesh and, and the characteristics of the flesh as, as being sensual and immoral and, and sexually immoral. It talks about anger, it talks about strife and, and those kinds of things that are, that is part of the flesh. Well, the spirit is in opposition to that. And he describes the characteristics of the of the whole, of the spirit, the, the fruits of the spirit. When the spirit when we're walking in step with the spirit, then there's love and there's joy and there's peace, there's kindness, there's there's self-control. And there's a difference in the way they work because depending on who you're keeping in step with is depending on what you're reflecting in life. And so it's really important to begin to understand that and understand this, this battle that's going on. In fact, he goes down in verse 24 and he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, they've nailed it back to the, to the cross because Jesus has already died for that. He's already settled that. I'm not enslaved to that anymore. You nail it back there, and it says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The picture is, when I came to Christ and I received Christ, I, was, I came into the body of Christ by the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that dwells within me. In order for me to, to be saved, it's not anything I've done. I, I can't pull out my, my get, you know, get into heaven card. I don't have anything by which to verify other than my total and complete dependence on God doing what he said he would do and trusting the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in my life, right? That's all I have. Well, just as that's true for my salvation, it's true in my living as well. That, 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 you know, I did this in early part of my Christian life. You know, I got all excited about my salvation. I'm like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start living this way. And, and anybody who wasn't, they were falling short. And I just started trying to, and I was never satisfied in my walk with God. It wasn't until I began to understand the, the power of God and grace as he works in my life that he's already put those things to death. And I have to acknowledge them and confess them and nail them back to that cross and keep in step with the Spirit. So if I live by the Spirit, let me also walk by the Spirit. If I don't, verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And that's what happens when we're not walking in the Spirit. We become conceited. We provoke one another. We we begin to envy one another. Those kinds of characteristics. So understanding all that, we walk into verse one of chapter six. And I promise this will be quick. I promise you'll get to lunch today. Verse one says, chapter, uh, chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. I was blown away by this verse many years ago. It says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Notice it says, if anyone. It's not saying, I don't think Paul's referring to a situation within the church there. I think what he's talking about is kind of a hypothetical situation, but it really has a uniqueness in the, in the, in the idea that it's a probability. In other words, probably this is gonna happen. That someone is gonna get, get <clears throat> what does it say, get caught away or caught in any transgression. That word caught literally means to seize unaware, to trap, to overcome. Really, it's the idea of not keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, not keeping in step with the Spirit in our life. When we're not in step with the spirit, the desires of the flesh become to, begin to come to the surface. And so he says, if you see anybody, you know, sometimes we kind of make this a, like big sins and little sins. No, it's, it's anybody who has moved away from keeping in step with the spirit of God in their walks with him. And he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, I love this idea, you who are spiritual, that idea of spiritual is that one who keeps in step, who by faith is taking steps, putting to death the old man and putting on the new man, to putting on Christ. Any of you who are spiritual, I've, I've had people come to me and say, Greg, you're, you're, you're an elder, or Greg, you're a pastor, you need to deal with this, right? I'm not a spiritual headhunter. I've started telling people that I'm not a spiritual headhunter. Because God didn't design the body for a few. He designed the body with all in mind, that we're all to be doing this. We're all to be encouraging one another. We're all to be stimulating one another into love and good works. We're all to be together in this. We're to be growing up into Christ. And when we see someone walking out of step with the Spirit, guess what? We need to encourage. In fact, he uses the word to restore, that you should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. That idea of spirit of gentleness is, again, the same word last week. It's kind of meekness. It's power under control. It's, it's patient. It doesn't retaliate. It doesn't bring about retribution, but it's gentle towards those, even though there might be the ability to retaliate. There might be the ability to restore. There may, may be ability, okay, I'm going to get even with you. There might be that ability, but we don't because we're doing this in a spirit of gentleness. And the word restore has the idea of to mend. It's a lot like equipping, but it's a little different. It has the idea to mend or to repair. And it was used often of repairing a broken bone and setting it straight. In fact, in some secular accounts, it was used of of restoring division that had raised up. And it's exactly what Paul's talking about here. That we're to restore one another, that you who are spiritual, there's a restoration. In fact, the idea is that the the goal always is restoration. The goal is always to restore one another. It's always. It doesn't give us the right to judge and to condemn. I I don't think you're going to find that in the scriptures. Are we to judge things and know what is right and wrong? Yeah, but it doesn't ever give us the right to condemn. In fact, if I understand John chapter three, we all are condemned. The whole hall of humanity is condemned condemned, and Christ has come and saved and seeked and saved that which was lost. But by the grace of God, we're all falling under that condemnation. So it's not an idea of, it's also not the idea of I'm right and you're wrong and I'm gonna set you straight. The, the attitude, the, the, the mindset is an attitude of restoration. It's an attitude of, of bringing along and to, to, to restore. Look, two or three months ago, I was standing out here in the lobby. There's two men out there and I was talking to them and uh, I was caught away. We were talking about something and, and one person was kind of going in a different direction and I was trying to, make sure they understood exactly what I meant or what I said, and what do we begin to do, right? I, I, have, I have so many faults, it's unreal. And if I allowed you all, to, and I won't because we wouldn't get done, if I allowed you all to give me the, the right words, I mean, what do we do in those moments? We get rude, right? Where we get short, where we try to overpower with our words or with our attitude, and I gotten caught away. I wasn't keeping in step with the Spirit, I was I was I was I was driving my point. We're just standing right out here in the lobby. And one of the guys looks at me and he talked about how he wished I would respond. And as soon as he said it, my heart dropped and I realized I was caught away. I immediately said I'm so sorry. I really apologize for that. And then they prayed over me. They restored me that I might not be caught away. In unrighteousness in the desires of the flesh, but that I might keep in step with the spirit. And sometimes when we do that, folks, it doesn't always work out either. I remember one time there was a guy who I knew he was about to leave his wife and he was he was involved with another woman and he was starting to do drugs. He was just picking really some bad decisions. And I remember, I remember getting a hold of him and talking to him about it and just saying, man, do you know what you're doing to your wife and to your family and your kids? Do you realize what you're doing? And, and I was probably passionate about it as I was describing those things to him. I'll never forget, he walked away that day and he did all those things, and all those things, his, his wife, his family, his kids. About five, six years ago, he contacted me. He said, Greg, everything you said to me that day was right. My desire was to see restoration, but sometimes people don't respond in restoration, do they? They don't respond in faith. Now he's, he's, in, he's back and he's walking with God and he's, he's trying to fix those things and restore those things that he messed up with so many bad decisions. But our goal is to restore. You see, when we, when we go to try to fix somebody, we don't go to restore them, we go to set them to our standard. If we try to go and, and we say, man, there's no hope for that person, we, we don't restore them. We try to fit them into our picture, our understanding. Christ is the head of the church and we are the body and he's placed all of us within this body of Christ that we might be one because of what he's done through salvation that God has chosen us, that that the spirit sealed us and Jesus redeemed us. This this salvation we have bringing us together that we might encourage one another, that we come along to, to help one another until we all, till all of us Grow in maturity in our faith until that day that we're no longer tossed to and fro and, 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 and following every new wind of thought or doctrine, falling under the schemes of humanity, falling under the cunningness of those who would deceive us. But we do that until we all grow up in Christ Jesus into a mature understanding of our faith and of his, of his word, of who God is and who Jesus is in our lives in the Spirit. That's, how, that's why we do it. But when you do that, it tells us to, to keep watch on yourself, that we're to watch ourselves. In fact, we're not to become too high-minded. We're not to become conceited in the way that we go about because I have knowledge and you don't understand. We're not, we're never are we to be conceited, conceited in the way we approach. We're not to provoke one another, you know, prod we use pass, you know, what is uh, passive aggressive behavior? You know, oh yeah, I'll do that and don't do it. No one's going to frustrate them to death. God forbid that we do those things in our in our in the body of Christ. That we don't be provoking that would be envying. Boy, I, I, mean, gosh, I mean, Greg's preaching. I, I think I'd be a better preacher than Greg. You probably are. Maybe you need to be using your gift. Maybe you need to be be preaching and teaching. We need to be a people of God that come together and we need to watch ourselves. We need to test ourselves lest we too fall into sin, lest we too keep out of step with the spirit, lest we too begin to walk in step with the flesh. We need to guard ourselves. Why do we do that? So that we all can grow up in the maturity of who Christ is in the church, so that we all can grow up in who he is encouraging one another, building into one another, growing together in oneness. Let's pray. Father God, I just I just pray, God, that your spirit would move in our hearts, that, Father, you would direct us this morning. Lord, my heart is so full. My heart is so full with, Father, just all these passages, and, man, just your body is just, It's just, man, Lord, it's a beautiful thing. Father, I pray your spirit would move among us and that, Father, you would enlighten us, that we would understand each one of us has a part, that you've placed us and understanding what that is and, and being a part of the body, working together in oneness, that you may be glorified, that the world would look at us, Father, and they would see Christ. They really don't care what we believe until they see how we live. God, may you just move among us and that you would use us. Father, this I pray in Christ's name, amen.